there. Welcome to the Moving Up Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Wilson. I'm here to dish out practical advice to help you elevate your business and your life. I'm the CEO of the Wilson Group Real Estate Services here in Nashville, Tennessee. So you know we're going to be covering ground in the real estate industry. But you'll also be hearing from expert leaders in the personal development and entrepreneurship communities. So pull up a seat because we're about to have a lot of fun. It's time for you to move up. Hi, I'm Harry Allen, co-founder and chief relationship officer of Studio Bank. Studio Bank is passionate about what our members create, and we're here to support you through the process. We provide capital and services to build businesses. We offer mortgage and home loan options, whether you're a first-time home buyer or purchasing your fifth home. We work with artists to reach their audiences. We help nonprofits transform our community. And often, the most important work we do is simply empowering individuals to pursue their dreams. We're here because what you create matters. Let's create something together. Visit studiobank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, NMLS number 1761767. Wow, today is an episode you won't want to miss. As realtors and homeowners, cracks in your foundation walls, your interior walls, Movement of brick and concrete block all give us reason to pause. So here at the Moving Up Podcast, I'm excited to have on our show today one of Nashville's favorite structural engineers, Marshall Bassett. Marshall will be talking to us today about what or why or when to be scared or be relieved that the cracks you're seeing ain't no big thing. So Marshall, (laughs) welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Very good, very good. Thank you so much. So Marshall, I'm just sort of going to let you drive this train. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and this is just going to be very organic, opening up a lot of questions, I think, for Heather and myself Mm -hmm. and for our listeners. Great, fantastic. So I'm a native of California. I uh, I grew up there, uh, graduated from Fresno State uh, and worked in geotechnical engineering, foundation design, large-scale commercial construction up until 1996 when I relocated to Nashville. My parents had retired to Western Kentucky from California, and it was just a natural progression for me to follow along. And yeah, ended up in Nashville. I hated it at first. It was like moving back to California, except humidity, and uh, started working for a geotechnical firm here in Nashville. I did that for several years. Went on to commercial parking garage design and precast concrete, and uh, and then ended up doing cladding for exteriors on high-rise buildings out of precast concrete design, and then ended up in the sales side. So that's kind of my lineage of my engineering history. Okay. So my wife and I relocated from Creve Hall to Green Hills about 2012, and my real estate agent at the time, or she's still my real estate agent, she asked if I would mind looking at a few houses for, because the home or home inspectors were recommending structural engineers or foundation engineers, and she just didn't have the number of resources at the time. And so, yeah, I committed, and I did probably the first year, 12 or 13 for her. Second year, about the same amount, 12 or 13. 
And then my name got out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never advertised, but then my name got out. So was this like a side hustle you were just you it was were a doing side hustle, at the beginning? Yeah, for okay. sure, for sure. Okay. For the first five years, probably, yeah. or so, a side hustle, or six years. And uh, I kind of limited it to 40, 50 a year, and then it got just out of hand. And wow. I think this year I'm on track to do 500. Dang. It's probably the most I've ever done. Obviously, in the last couple, three years, it's been ridiculous, mm-hmm. but... Right around 500 real estate deals and a lot of design as well for um, addition design, foundation design, beam design for kitchen renovations, what have you. Yeah. I didn't know you did that. Uh, I, I, I need your expertise on this. Okay, good to know. I'm making a little mental note here. I think here I've done 100 of those this year. So, right. yeah, it's just been off the chain. Get ready for 101. I'm very blessed. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, been, it's been very good. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Let's talk about in the realtor world how you got started, where your realtor said, hey, you've got a structural background. Can you look at these houses? That's why most of us at the Wilson Group will call you. It's like, mm-hmm. sure. you have a bad inspection, not a bad inspection, but an inspection where the inspector recommends structural engineer to come out. Or you go out to list a house and it's on the side of a hill, yes. like the one you had. Yes. There's a big bulge in the side <laughs> of the foundation wall. Sure. It's hanging off a hill, whatever. We call you. What We make that phone call. What happens next? You come out to the house and... Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, go out to the house. If there's a home inspection report, I generally look at that just to understand what the home inspector was seeing and, and why I'm there. You know, in my line of work, it's all it's all forensics unless I can see it. Mm-hmm. Crawl spaces are, are number one, right? Because all of the structure's open and I can see kind of exactly what's going on. Basement houses are a little harder. Finished basements are almost impossible. Then I have to really rely on what's going on forensically. Is the, and most of the time that is a crack. Um, you see a crack in brick, or the block foundation's cracked. Now we have to back up and and uh, really evaluate the nature of the crack, uh, and then rely on experience. What we've seen in the past mm-hmm. is there any is there anything going on from the outside? Is there negative landscaping back to the house are we putting a lot of water into a system that that was in a static state at some point and now now it's flooding so those kind of things are are what we look at okay all right so do you have anything that really stands out as being one of the craziest things you've ever seen and most of these are diy stuff Mm -hmm. a homeowner takes a load-bearing wall out and doesn't think about the ramifications of why it's a load-bearing wall. Now the roof is sagging. Now oh, wow. what do I do? Why is the roof sagging? Or the walls are pushing out. We've had several that um, they've taken the load-bearing wall out of the center of a house. And, you know, if you think about the geometry of a triangle, that's the geometry of your house. That's the roof as a triangle. If you take the bottom leg out of a triangle, what's a triangle want to do? It's going to flatten out mm-hmm. and push the walls out. So, yeah, those are... Those things just drive me nuts. And in that example, because we see this all the time, especially in mid-century homes, a.k.a. ranches and whatnot, sure. mm-hmm. where people are opening them up, they've taken that center wall out to make it open and have put the lamb beam up in the attic, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, how does that carry the load from the top down? Because when I think of carrying load, I think from the <laughs> bottom up. So to get you explained it to me one time, and I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. But explain to our listeners how a lamb, lamb beam in the um, attic can carry that load. Okay. So going back to the, to the triangle analogy, so the, the bottom 
cord of that triangle is your ceiling joists. Mm-hmm. But they also function to keep, if you, if you think about the way the roof is loading the top of the triangle, mm-hmm. the ceiling joists not only are carrying the ceiling, but it's also preventing the walls from pushing out right. in tension. It still loads the house kind of the same way because that in that example, the front and the wall, uh, back wall are both loaded. Now, to vault the ceiling, we're going to take a structural beam and we're going to push it. And, and you can do either way. You can push it all the way to the top to vault it or you can take out a load-bearing wall and still retain the ceiling height. But what we're doing there, we're now going from a triangle to essentially a straight beam. So half the load is going into the structural beam and half the load is going to the outside wall. So there's no, there's, think about if, uh, like a tabletop, all we're doing is elevating one of those points of bearing. Mm -hmm. And so now we've got a, we've got a situation where we've got a little more load on the outside wall, but we're sharing that load with a center beam. So that's how, that's how we can vault that. So when you put that lamb up there, you've got to have that resting on the the wall the two side walls that's correct yeah. you have to have that load path continuous down through the wall into the crawl space or the basement right yeah. and that's where I see people have put these lambs up in this attic and it doesn't align with sitting on anything and I'm like that that, that can't be good because those beams are heavy and now they're not being supported exactly with or they or they chase it down to the wall and then don't do anything in the beam for the crawl space and then we end up with a buckled floor situation something else that's weird about and you speak of the mid-century modern when you take the wall out what a lot of folks don't realize is that when you when you build the house we're not thinking about vertical control of the foundation because there's going to be a wall on the main beam and so the elevation of that main beam relative to the elevation of the front door let's say that is insignificant because we're going to put a wall on it. Mm-hmm. So I've seen, and I can point out 50 examples where the wall is taken out. Now there's a little hump in the floor. Yep. Yep. Every I've time. Seen that. I see that all the time. Every time. Mm-hmm. And it's not nefarious, but it is, it drives people crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when a new homeowner or a homeowner is looking for a flat floor. Oh my gosh, the floor is rolling a little bit. Well, it's an old house. These are the things that have been done. It's not a structural issue. Everything's fine. You're going to have to live with that. So my recommendation on that, because I come across that, and I'm sure, Heather, you Mm -hmm. do too, a lot with that hump Mm -hmm. in the floor that has now been created, is to have Marshall come out and write a letter saying whether or taking a look at it and knowing if it's structural or not. Because I feel like the majority of realtors are so new in the business right now that they come out like, oh, my God, this is structural. Walk away before they even know what they're dealing Absolutely. with. Absolutely. So you just you do your sellers a service. You do the future buyers a service. You do Marshall a service <laughs> when you have him come out and take a look and write a letter. Sure. And, and then if something's wrong, you can address it. Exactly. Or if you're going to list the house on the market, that's what I've, I've been promoting that for a long time. Mm-hmm. When you know you're going to sell your house and it's an older house and you have some little wonky things that you've grown accustomed to just living around, kind of put your shoe, uh, put yourself in a new buyer's or the right. buyer's shoes and say, if I were to walk into this house today, what kind of things would drive me crazy? And just at least have that letter. Because yep. I've seen so many deals killed, just like you, like you had said, just because of of a misunderstanding more yeah, than Yeah, not anything. knowing what you don't know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And just being clear and upfront with it. So when you look at a house and you see 
serious issues, what typically gives you makes you pause and go, oh, this is bad, or or does anything, or is your mentality, well, if you can write a check for it, it's not a problem. <laughs> kind of that. <laughs> kind of that. That's how I roll. <laughs> yeah, I mean, anything can be cured, right? right With money. Right, right. It just depends on how much you have. You may have to tear down the house, but, you know. That's right. Yeah, sure. Any So, from, because uh, I work both sides of the coin, uh-huh. from a buyer standpoint, if there's a serious foundation issue, you talked about the Boeing wall, mm-hmm. that's huge. I've seen... Believe it or not, I've seen 15, 20 foundation failures this month. Wow. And it's all these houses that were built in the 50s, 60s, 70s. The waterproofing on the outside of a basement wall has a lifespan, generally 15 to 20 years. And the soil, there's a phenomenon called soil creep. And soil creep is a phenomenon where the soil mass that the wall is retaining gets wet. And when it gets wet, it gets super heavy, and it starts pushing on the wall, lateral pressure. The water dissipates out of the soil mass, and it dries. And when it dries, it shrinks a little bit, and that leaves a void space. Dry soil falls in that void space. We repeat the cycle again. And we do this for 15, 20 years, and it just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing. Most of the foundation walls built in that time period, even now, aren't designed to take a lot of lateral soil pressure. Hmm. It's concrete block foundations. They're hollow. They're not, no reinforcing. Mm -hmm. And they just have a certain capacity. Yeah. And so when soil creep, when that lateral pressure exceeds the wall's capacity to hold it back, then that's where we start seeing horizontal cracking, deflection in the wall, bowing, those kind of issues are expensive to repair. So from a buyer's perspective, my advice is to always say, uh, you need to have a foundation company come and address this specific issue and understand that it's going to be fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. From a seller's side, it's flipped in that you really have an issue and this mm-hmm. is the way you need to repair it or be prepared to write that check at yeah. at closing or or in negotiation. Right. So in repairing that because the structural and foundation company you've given me is amazing. I love them. And is it digging out you dig away the dirt then re-waterproof the block and then go with the drainage system? Is that the typical way? There's a I know every different every everybody situation has is different. A, yeah, everybody has and and all foundation companies do it differently. The gold standard is to dig it out, mm-hmm. rewaterproof it from the outside, mm-hmm. push the wall back into shape if it's bowed, and core fill it, mm-hmm. which means... How do you push it back in shape? Or um, push, push it they back? Can, they can hydraulically push oh, okay, it okay. in. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think and, it a pickup truck going... <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. like, how do you get the truck in the basement? Yeah. I make it go that way. <laughs> Very well could be. <laughs> That's how my dad used to do it. <laughs> But yeah, and core filling is nothing more than taking that that hollow CMU core, putting a piece of rebar in it. It's kind of a brute force method, mm-hmm. and it's kind of scary to watch if you're if you're not educated or you know it's your house and somebody's beating it to death trying to fix this thing. But that's the gold standard. Some foundation companies want to do uh, reinforcing from the interior side, whether it be with metal channels carbon fiber straps there's there's multitudes of ways mm-hmm. there's even a company there now that will drill through into the dirt on the outside into the earth on the outside and put a soil anchor in to, and it's all in an effort to 
add some reinforcement to the wall. Gotcha. And then the waterproofing aspect, because that's what got us in trouble the first place. Some companies want to do, and I know you've seen some companies, they want to bring the water inside and then tackle it from the inside. I hate that. I do too. From an engineering perspective, a homeowner's perspective, I want to keep everything on the outside. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have any, I don't, I don't want you to drill a hole in my block and let the water filter in and go to a sump pump. That That's just, that's backwards thinking. Right. But it's easy to do. It doesn't disturb your landscaping mm. and you don't have to rewaterproof. The gold standard, I mean, to do all that, that's, that's an expensive repair. Mm-hmm. But. And so you say in the waterproofing typically lasts 15 to 20 years that was put on a concrete block. Mm-hmm. Is that from the waterproofing that they would do in the 50s and 60s or would they waterproof by then or is this at today's like people who started doing that in the 90s i think it, that's today back in the day you were lucky to get them to paint asphalt on the mm-hmm. on the outside of the block to an attempt to waterproof yeah. that's just and that shows the evolution of building codes and building science mm-hmm. it um in the residential side, it seems like it's always lagged behind the commercial side. Mm-hmm. From the commercial side, you know, the green building and and new products, new materials, it seemed like it's just so much more advanced because the codes are more stringent. Well, and also the cost, too, I guess, on the, on the residential side. So when you're looking at constructing a home or rebuilding a home, you know, you have concrete block foundation poured concrete foundation or slab, mm, right? Exactly. So with those three elements on a slab foundation, do you tend to see structural issues there? Not as much. Okay. And I guess those are more on flat surfaces anyway. Flat surfaces. Slab. It depends on the soil profile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have seen, and I've, I've seen several in the last month or so in Murfreesboro, where a lot of houses now are going to slab on grade mm-hmm. because there's less error in in construction. You don't have the floor joist issue to, to hand to deal with. But what people don't understand is that concrete is a is all concrete cracks mm-hmm. and it's a it's a homogeneous mixture of cement and sand and water and aggregate. And that chemical reaction that happens if the if the mix is not exactly right, if they put too much water in it, if they don't put enough water in the mm-hmm. mix, there's there's that chemical reaction that happens because the cement is is eating the water, absorbing the water for that chemical reaction. So you get a lot of cracking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ones that I'm seeing in in areas with a soil content that's high clay, maybe an expansive potential. Once that slab cracks. Now we have the ability to work independently of each other because now there's a crack between the two sides, clean the gutters. If there's negative mm-hmm. flow back, now we're saturating the soil, a clay soil that has high expansive potential. Yeah. And now we're moving the floors a little bit. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, there's always, there's always an if and, uh, or kind of a situation with any of these buildings. Right. So then, when you try, then you move up to concrete block, and then to poured concrete foundation. I mean, concrete block is sort of the what we see predominantly on a crawl space, right? And it's know? cheap and easy to build, and it's fast. 
concrete, cast in place concrete foundation walls, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Very rarely do we see an issue with those. Yeah. Let's talk about footers. So um, on a concrete block foundation, well, or poured concrete, whatever, you're going to have the footers mm -hmm. in your at your points of load, correct. correct? Oftentimes, we'll get in an inspection report that, oh, maybe the footer has cracked. Consult a structural engineer. What happens? No, well, number one, what can cause a footer cracking? And number two, how do you cure that? So going back to the slab, this, it's the same thing. Same thing. Right. You have a water demand and um, you and all concrete cracks, mm -hmm. but we reinforce it. So by reinforcing the footing, we're trying to keep it together mm -hmm. and rely on the strength of the steel to keep it from moving differentially. So a, a footing crack doesn't super scare me. Okay. But what happens a lot of times, and going back to the water is the bane of our existence, is that you're dumping your gutter right onto right. the corner at the foundation in combination with a crack and the line load that the house is putting into the footing, now you've set yourself up for a perfect combination of a differential crack or settlement, which is now we have to put piers under it to stabilize the foundation. And to do that, like I'm thinking of the TV commercials you see where those like, that little machine that magically, and it like lifts it up. It reminds me of Austin Powers when Dr. Evil was going to the, get some hot liquid magma in that yes. giant, in that giant um, thing that was drilling through the Earth's core. So I'm thinking of rebuilding a footer, and that's what always comes to mind is Austin Powers and Dr. Evil. Like to get underneath there, are you... Are they, they're drilling in and then pu pushing concrete up, or do you dig away and, and drive rebar into the... So I know that's super technical, but it's no, I've never so, seen them do it. I just know of it, hypothetically. So there's, uh, what they do is they actually dig a hole adjacent, right next to the footing, and they can push a hydraulically push up here. Okay. <clears throat> and or they can there's a helical pier mm -hmm. and the helical pier they just screw it into the ground and what what we're looking for in those uh, either case we're looking for a resistance so hydraulically as we push it and think about like pushing a fork into a potato right that's mm -hmm. almost not almost done yeah the outer skin it goes pretty quick right but as you get to something solid now you're getting more and more resistance right same concept okay and we're just looking for that resistance because we know how much load is going into the footing. Okay. We just calculate that by the weight of the house. And once we get that resistance, they stop. And then they put a, um, they can either be eccentric piers, meaning that it grabs onto the outside edge of the footing, or they can be concentric piers, which means it pushes on the middle. And once they get that into place, they get the pier, they get the little, the, the, what type of pier they're going to use. Yeah, then they just jack the house up and, and align it and straighten it. Okay, okay. Interesting. Yep. Do you see houses that have been jacked up too much? Yes. I'll constantly. see that yes. too, yeah. Or so. the other thing that, and I'm not going to, I don't want to to bag on foundation companies, but yeah, I can see where sometimes it maybe needs six piers, and I look at an estimate uh -huh. and there's 25. Yeah. Yeah. And that really drives me crazy. Yep, me too. Yeah. <laughs> because, too. you know, a crack doesn't mean that your house is going to fall off into the yard and your kid's cereal is going to fall off the table. <laughs> That's not what that means. I mean, That's all why you houses... have a dog to eat the stuff on the floor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's tell the listeners, too. So you start seeing some cracking. When do you think 
it's normal settlement and when is it structural in nature? How, what would be a gauge that a homeowner could could look at the cracks? Because we know where we typically see cracks at door corners, at window corners. Yeah, or- and let's talk about the difference. I hear this all the time. When you have peeling tape from your drywall, mm-hmm. that is not a crack or a structural issue. I don't, maybe it's just my buyers. I don't know, but it seems like every time we see the tape coming down, they're like, oh my goodness, this house. I'm like, no, 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 it's just a bad tape job. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it, that's a great point. So, so you've got a, a bunch of different things going on. One, your house is the largest expense you'll ever have. And Sorry, two, I'm laughing. I keep thinking of that cereal. <laughs> yeah, two, that commercial, I can see that commercial. You have been conditioned, we've been conditioned yeah. as homeowners to freak out if they there's freak a crack. Out. Yeah. It's a great marketing job, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not only that commercial, but it's, you know, the guy that's getting in the crawl space and it's nasty look. So <laughs> we've got that those two and you see a crack develop and immediately you say, "Oh my god, it's foundation failure." Mm-hmm. Um to speak to your point about the tape, I see that constantly. Yeah. Every day. Somebody calls me and says, "There's a crack and it follows the crown molding it's the most bizarre thing does that mean it's foundational no i had to uh, uh, acclimate myself to this as well is that tennessee you have cool dry air in the summer Mm -hmm. warm moist air in the winter and and that tape absorbs moisture Mm -hmm. so you've got this shrinkage thing going on expansion contraction with the seasonal changes Mm -hmm. yeah um as far as a normal settlement crack it's typically on on size of the crack if it's you know, I think about a sixteenth of an inch, just the dime. Mm-hmm. If you took a dime and you could stick it in the corner or a penny or something like that, that's probably normal settlement. Or it could even be shrinkage and expansion or contraction in the building, the CMU block, the concrete foundation wall, whatever that is. Two, I look at a crack in a foundation wall. Let's say if there's no differential movement in it, meaning no vertical offset between the two sides of the crack. That usually tells me that there's nothing sinking. It's actually going laterally or mm-hmm. away from each other. And when you see a true foundation failure, it's pretty blatant. Okay. It just doesn't stop immediately. It it goes on. It's almost like a wedge crack. Like you were cutting a piece of a very, very thin piece of cake. It's wedged higher at the top or wider at the top than it is at the bottom. That usually says, hey, there's probably a foundation issue. Okay. I would say of a hundred houses I look at that purportedly have foundation settlement issues, maybe ten truly have a foundation settlement, and the other ninety are are some degree of normal settling. Yeah. Because and and what we're running into now is you have a little house. Sylvan Park is a perfect example. North Nashville, uh, even Green Hills, where you had this little 1940s cottage. 1,600 square feet. What's that? Like a 40 by 50 footprint. Mm -hmm. You tear it down. You've disturbed all this soil. Mm -hmm. And now you're putting a 7,000 square foot house on it on soil that's never been built on before. Mm. And so once you start pouring footings, doing floor slab, you know, doing floor joists, you are consolidating the soil. I have never, ever thought about that. Because yep. I'm thinking of all the new construction, you know, all the teardowns and stuff we see sure. in the house that was there. And I see the void. You know, once they take take it down, you see the void where the mm-hmm. house 
was, and then they start backfilling with some gravel and dirt and yeah. whatnot. Or whatnot, yeah. Yeah, or whatnot, yeah. debris. I've never thought about the soil never holding that type of load. Before. Absolutely. Yeah, we... I, Anywhere, I mean, gosh, just name it, right? Yeah, Anywhere Nashville, there used Tennessee. to be a, mm-hmm. a farm, and now you're building a bunch of houses on it. That soil has never had anything done other than being worked for a farming operation. Mm-hmm. And now we're putting X amount of weight into a line load around it. And sure, there, there's going to be consolidation in the soil. Okay. Yep. I love the word consolidation <laughs> of the soil over than your house is settling. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. soil's consolidating. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's great. But the key to everything is keep water away from yes, your foundation. Absolutely. Keep those downspouts, you know, put your extensions on. Just keep that water away. That's the number one cause. Yep. Wouldn't you say, Marshall? Absolutely. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. No, but. no, absolutely. And the building code is pretty specific about what its requirements are for new builds. So they want to see there's actually a prescriptive code that says the soil should slope six inches and 10 feet mm-hmm. away from the house. And that's deemed well enough to continue moving away where we're not saturating that near surface soil around the foundations. So riddle me this. <laughs> I'm thinking of in so many of the areas where the tall and skinnies are. Absolutely. And you don't have, you have only 10 feet right. between yeah. two or less or less homes. Mm-hmm. So you've got, f- if you're supposed to have a six inch slope and 10 feet, but then you're hitting that next house, so you now have five feet. Do they just have to build up a little bit higher and then maybe hopefully have a a drainage? I was just thinking the thing, very same thing because my neighborhood. Yeah, yes. going between the two homes. Exactly. Is that the best? Yeah, I mean, that's... Is that building code, do you know? I don't think there's any code provision for that. Okay. But, yeah, there should be, there should be some provision for drainage in that situation. Yeah. I would say just put some gravel there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and make don't sure try it to slopes and slopes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were you about to say, Heather? I'm sorry. Well, I live in a neighbor in a neighborhood where the houses are pretty close and mm-hmm. we have a neighbor that likes to water his grass a lot. And it seems like between our two homes where it slopes down, it stays really wet all the time. So yeah. I was just thinking about that, mm-hmm. that maybe we should add a pipe or something in there so that it can get out and dry out. Yeah. Hmm. And if you have enough slope from front yard to backyard or back to front, then yeah, then we have some some uh, leeway to work with a drainage pipe or French drain or something along those lines. But yeah, the key is to constantly think about moving water away from your house. Right. How often when you go into a home do you see that the cost to cure exceeds the value of the home? In, in today's market? In today's market. Yeah, well, good. <laughs> Da-da-da. Yeah. You win a prize. Yeah. yeah. I know everything Everything can be fixed with money, but it's sometimes you just like, man, you just need to start over. Like, let, let's go into Oak Hill, Forest Hills, something like that, which for those of you who aren't in the Nashville area, that's a part of town that's very hilly. It's beautiful. You're on acre lots and a lot of these basement ranch-style mm-hmm. homes or spl- split foyers. You know, they've they've just had some issues. A great example is I have a developer that I work with, he calls me on every deal he does. He had a cool mid-century modern that he had bought in in Oak Hill, and it was at the bottom of a hill. It it was very strange. The driveway was scary as hell to go down. (laughs) And uh, when you get to the bottom, it's a concrete block foundation wall. It was failed. It had pushed in four inches. And even to get stuff into that 
space to work would have been exorbitant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say from what he bought the house for to the cost that it was going to take to to fix that foundation wall was probably a third, maybe. It was going to be super expensive. Mm-hmm. At that point, he's just wholesaled the deal. They're going to tear it down and just start over. Start over, yeah. yeah. It, it's hard to say. Yeah. It's hard and, to say. And I know every every deal is different. Every house yeah. is different. Every lot's different. But yeah, if you pay 500 for a house and you've got to put 150 into it to even get it back to square one so you can start renovations, that's probably exorbitant in my book. But yeah. I mean, everybody else, everybody has that, their own meter on yeah, that, right? Yeah, that's right. So. That's right. Well, cool. Well, in closing... I just love bizarre story. I love the stuff that we all see, you know, and everyone has great bizarro stories. So, uh, do you have a good bizarro one? I do. I yeah, do. good. I knew you would. This was this, this freaked me out. East Nashville. It was a a dead end street, and the house was at the end of this cul de sac, kind of a dead end street built in the twenties. So I was called. The house was vacant, and there was a, a, a an out of town buyer. The home inspection came up with the front porch was sagging. It's one of those with four columns on the front porch sagging. The whole thing was leaning out. So I was called to to determine what was going on with the structure. So go down in the basement. It's a dugout basement. So for those of you who don't know that most of the houses in East Nashville were at one time post and beam, Mm -hmm. meaning that they were just on stilts, essentially. And then they dug out that basement to put in a coal-fired furnace. This house was built in the 20s, probably. I go down the basement, and and the basement light switch is one of those old-timey ones that are real soft. Mm -hmm. Turn the light on, go down the basement, and it's only dug out so far, so I got to crawl back to the front. So I start crawling. (laughs) And I get my camera out to take a picture of of something on on the way to the front. And as soon as I pull my camera out, the light goes off in the basement. And now it's pitch black. I'm like, great. Crawl back out, go back up the stairs. The light switch is down. So I flip the light switch back up, go back down. I go all the way to the front this time, pull out my camera. Light goes out. So I'm like, golly, this is crazy. So I take the pictures I need with a flashlight and uh, crawl back out. Light switch is down. So, go to the kitchen island. I spread out all my paperwork, writing a report. The door slams upstairs. So, now I'm thinking, my God, there's somebody in the house. I'm a little freaked out that somebody's in the house. I gingerly walk up the stairs, terrified that somebody's up there. All the doors are closed. So, I got to open each one. Oh, jeepers. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, my God, this is terrible. So, I leave the house. All clear. I call the realtor. She's interested in what I found. I kind of give her a report, and I said, oh, by the way, ha-ha, I think the house is haunted. She's like, oh, my God, don't say anything to anybody about that. <laughs> Forget completely about the whole situation. She calls me six months later on another deal and said, oh, hey, by the way, that house that you were at, the new owner was in the backyard cutting all the brush. And there was a graveyard. There were three graves. Oh, my God. And the state archaeologist is now out there exhuming the graves to take them to the city. Cemetery. Cemetery. And I was like, 
Oh man! I yeah. think I covered them. <laughs> so yeah, that's my most bizarre story. Wow! I will yeah. never go in a hand dug basement again. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little. It was a little creepy. I was a little Turn creeped out by that one. Back yeah. Up the steps. yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say you saw like a, a snakes or crit- oh, I mean, no, I'm sure I've, you run into snakes and critters and stuff. In the I've had a spaces. few. I've had a few. A skunk one time. Yeah. Uh, yes, the chickens, cats, the, dogs, you name it. Like dead ones or uh, no live, alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again in East Nat, or I think this was in Sylvan Park. Downstairs, the guy had chickens and and uh, he they roosted in the crawl space. Oh. So there I Ew. am with me and twenty chickens in the crawl space. <laughs> oh gosh, I went into a basement one time and it was it was in Sylvan Park also, and I swear. I felt like I'd walked into the set of Silence of the Lambs. I mean, it was like my basement. I mean, my house is a sure. turn of the century home, and you know it's dug out and stuff. But this one had dug out little, almost caves within the the root cellar. And I'm going, I'm going to see precious in here. <laughs> anyway, well, to wrap it up. Some great takeaways with Marshall Bassett today. Number one, keep the water away from your home. Keep water away. That's number one. Number two would be if you see cracks, it may just be normal settlement. It's not always structural. And number three, if you have any questions at all regarding structural cracks or what you want to do in the future, call Marshall Bassett. We're going to have your contact information on our show notes. And I just can't thank you enough for being on the show. I just love being around Marshall, too, because you tell great stories. You're so interesting. And your wealth of experience uh, is mind-blowing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, Everyone, thanks for tuning in today. And we look forward to our next show. Have a great one. The Wilson Group Real Estate Services is one of Nashville's top premier boutique real estate firms. We specialize in working with buyers and sellers for housing, investment, and commercial needs, as well as offering a full-service property management division for your investments. Check out our website today at wilsongrouprealestate.com. Hey, if you're loving the show, go find that little follow button on your podcast app. This will ensure you won't miss a single episode. Until next time. 